all of you who came today that didn't know I was going to be speaking, um, I apologize ahead of time. Because <laughs> you were probably thinking you were going to come today and uh, hear somebody like my wife or Pastor Sammy or something, and uh, you're not. This is probably not going to be a, a typical service um, that you're used to uh, with Pastor Dan. Obviously, been here for um, 27 years, I think it is. So uh, he's a tough act to follow, especially when some of you were here um, probably when he maybe even started. <laughs> so uh, standing behind his, his pulpit here is, is extremely intimidating. Um, not to mention the five steps that comes up to the stage. You know, normally most stages are like one or two steps. Uh, this one's got like five steps, and you're just kind of like, wow, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> More so than what I had in my mind when, uh, when I uh, thought about doing this. I'm not real sure um, how I uh, got put on the list of the, of the you know, names that was given to the, the board and I'm not sure how I was randomly selected. I think I was randomly selected, actually. <laughs> and my name just kind of popped up. But uh, um, listening to, to Jim Palmer and then uh, Pastor Sammy and then my wife, uh, they stole all of my opening lines. <laughs> I'm not lying. When I, I first agreed to this, I had a list of things, you know, some one-liners, maybe a joke or something. And, uh, and they got up here, and between the three of them, they pretty much just took every single one of them. So I don't have any opening, opening one-liner, no jokes, no lines. Um, but in case you didn't know or it's not up on the screen, um, I'd just like to talk a little bit today about voices. Um, my life, um, I can't speak for anybody else, but uh, my life has been what I would say, directed and steered down certain roads, certain paths, because of certain voices that has been in my head. And it could be voices um, from myself saying things about myself. It could be voices from the devil uh, speaking things into my, into my head. Um, but mainly some of the voices that I uh, hear and I still to this day even struggle with is voices... Um, from people who influenced me the most throughout my life, starting at an early age. Um, so before we actually get started, I'd just like to uh, define a little bit about what you think a great father is. Just one word, uh, just to say a one word of what you think a great father is. Loving, honest, Compassionate, faithful, disciplinary with love, patient. That's a tough one. If you got kids, boy, that's a <laughs> that's a tough one. <laughs> I am not a patient person. I don't know if any of you know that or not, but uh, uh, my daughter could probably speak very. For she could probably stand up here and speak a sermon about patience and. Uh, <laughs> but uh, those are all the things that I would, I would consider to be the makeup of a, of a great father. Um, some other things I think of would be 
uh, would be a man of God, uh, somebody who um, that I could see from just an early, early childhood, early age to you know up into my teen years, even adult years. Somebody that I could see as my father um, worshiping God, praying to God, uh, you know, um, speaking the word. You know, watching him read the Word of God, study the Word of God. Those would be all the things I would consider um, to be, you know, just a, a great man of God and a great father. Um, so I, I, I just want to say that, you know, I'm not able to, to actually speak and, and get the things out of my head very well. I don't do this very often. So I have all these things rattling around in my head, and sometimes it's really hard. My vocabulary is, is like this big. My wife's vocabulary is like this big, you know. So, so some of the words that I may choose to speak or say might not be appropriate for this setting. Uh, I promise you I won't like swear <laughs> or anything. <laughs> but uh, just in case, I, I would like to, <laughs> I would like to uh, put a couple people, give a couple people a job. So first I could give uh, Durf. Um, he, he's recently been selected on the board, correct? Um, yeah, there's three members of the board, and he has been recently selected to that position. Um, so I would like you, through the course of, of, you know, however long it takes, two or three hours, however long it takes for me to get done. Um, that was Pastor Sammy's line, and he took from me, by the way. Uh, um, if I say something inappropriate, a word or something, I'm going to look at you real quick, because I'm sure someone's going to gasp in the audience, you know. <laughs> and you're going to give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. All right, now, thumbs up, I'm just going to keep rolling. Thumbs down, all right, I'm going to look at Pastor Sammy. I figure, you know, he's probably got one of these vocabularies like this. He's been to college and stuff, you know. Uh, but he's, he's, a, he's a witty guy. I don't know if you know this or not, but he, he thinks kind of quick on his feet. And he's, you know, I like some of his choice of words. So if I get a thumbs down from him, I'm looking straight at you, and you're going to give me the word that I should have used <laughs> instead of the word that I used, all right? <laughs> and so... And last but not least, uh, Bill, I just want to tell you something before I get any further. I'm probably the most clumsiest guy you have ever seen in your life. So as I move up and down these steps, and I just saw that this is uneven right here, it's a real good chance I can trip. So <laughs> just be prepared. But, Bill, I'm going to like you to be in charge of rabbit trails. Um, I, I came home one day from work, and... Uh, and I walk in the door, I put my stuff down, and my wife goes, Hi, honey, how are you? She says, I took a test for you online today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, but anytime you hear those words coming out of your wife's mouth, man, you know, it's probably not going to be good, you know? <laughs> you know, she's a very loving woman, very intelligent woman, but uh, I was like, okay, so, you know, wh what was the test? And uh, she says, well, she says, it was a funny thing, because I, I answered pretty much every question, yes. <laughs> so now I'm really intrigued. She says, well, I, I took a test online, uh, and it was a test for ADD. <laughs> I said, well, what would ever give you that idea, you know? And she goes, well, one reason is is because when I'm talking to you, you're not paying attention <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> and uh, which I would have to, you know, hang my head and say, yeah, you know, you're, you're right, um, but uh, I'm not a very good multitasker. I'd have to raise my hand with Pastor Sammy. I am not a multitasker. You stick me on a job, 
you know, give me one or two things to do, I'm like a pit bull on a steak. I'm on it. But you, you get out of that range of three, four, and five, you'll get the first two things done really well, but those other three, <laughs> they're not happening. But uh, so you're in charge of rabbit trails. I get going down a rabbit trail, and then I go down another rabbit trail, and then I go down another rabbit trail. You're just going to do one of these, you know, wind it up, let's head on back to the topic, all right? <laughs> now, my wife, thankfully, um, she is a genius when it comes to these things. Um, but she, she really helped me a lot in preparing for today. Um, as soon as I said yes, which I'm still trying to figure out why I said yes, but as soon as I said yes to doing this, you know, today, um, God just instantly dropped a word right, right in my spirit. I mean, it, I mean it, it was just right after the S came out of yes, that word just popped right in there. Now, I didn't have the whole entire message, you know, that I could go home and write down, you know. And, but the, the, the initial word that he wanted me to, to, to speak on and talk about um, was, was instantly just dropped right, right in my spirit. And so I had, a, I had a piece, you know, about at least what I was, you know, going to talk about um, and, and like, like I said, it's going to be a little different. I'm going to share some things, a lot of things actually, about myself personally. And sometimes that's not the easiest thing when, when you are the king of bad choices. I'm serious. If, if, all, if any one of you listed out throughout your life, and you, list, you put a number on a piece of paper, and you put it in an offering plate, and we brought them up here, and we tried to see what the highest number was, I would, I would beat that number probably by double. You know, because I have just made bad choices most of my entire life. Um, so uh, it's just a, it, it's a thing of, um, in making those bad choices, it's hard to talk about them sometimes, especially in a, in a group setting. If it, was, if it was just, you know, one person or to the youth group, which I love, I love talking to youth. They're, I think they're awesome. Um, it, it's, it's easier to speak about those things in an entire setting. So you know, I, I could get emotional. These things are very, very dear um, to my heart. When I say that is because God has done, He has done things to me and in me that you can't take from me. You know, you, know, you, you, you can take my family, you can take my possessions, which isn't very much, but... Um, I'm not real sure. <laughs> I don't ever take my keys out of my car. My wife's like, why don't you ever take your keys out of your car? I'm like, who in the world would steal my car? I said, I would actually feel sorry for the person who stole my car. Because <laughs> if you don't know how to do all the little things it takes to get that thing rolling down the road, you're going to be in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so they're just, these things are, are very dear to me, and, and you, you just can't take them from me. You know, and, and I will carry these things all the way out into eternity. And uh, so I want to talk to you today about, about voices. And, um, you know, God has, he has, uh, I've had an experience with God. And, and I don't say that in a boastful way or, you know, I just, I just I've had, I've met God. And, and, and if there's a way to meet him face to face without seeing him, I, I have done that. And, uh, and I, I don't know why. I don't know why he chose me especially in my situation I was in, but he did. And, uh, and I'd just like to share that with you, and, and hopefully um, 
you can you just get something out of something that is brought forth today that might be able to help you or you know steer you down a path stop you down the road you're going and turn around and come back um but uh I want to give a definition. We gave a definition today of what we consider to be a, a great father. So I, I, I want to give a definition of my father. Um, from the very, from, I tried to think, I'm 48 years old, so, you know, the older you get, the harder it is to think all the way back to when you're like four years old, you know. And uh, so I, I did my best to try to think back at some of my very earliest memories of my dad. And, uh, and the very first word that came to me was, he, he, he was an angry man. Um, he just seemed to be very edgy and a very angry man. Uh, I rarely ever seen him uh, smile or laugh. He did at times. Um, but inside uh, the home where no one was around, no friends, uh, nothing was going on TV or anything, just, just to have him be, be lighthearted and laugh, I don't ever remember him being that way. Um, he, he, he was a mean person. Um, he, he just, you know, he, in my opinion, um, he would just do things that I felt that were really mean at times. And uh, he, he pretty much never, never played with me as a, as a young boy, uh, never really took me anywhere. I don't remember, remember him taking me fishing, you know, or just like a, like a, like a, like a father-son moment. I don't remember any of those moments. I do remember one moment, I, I take that back, it just came to me. I had a moment when I was 15 years old, we went through a drive-thru, he, he, uh, he bought himself a, a, a quart of beer and bought me one, we sat outside the drive-thru and drank them. 15 years old, never drank a beer in my life, but we, we drank a beer that day. But that was the only really father and son moment I remember having with him. Not a proud one, by the way, but uh, um, he, it, you know, he, I never remember him saying these words to me, but how many of you know that, that, you know, sometimes the look on your face or your actions, you know, speak a thousand words? And, uh, you know, you hear those things all the time. But when I think back to him, his actions and the looks on his face and the look in his eyes, um, I just felt, you know, you know he hated me. And, and I, I never knew why. I just never, you know, as, as a young boy, how in the world could you... How you, could you process stuff like that, you know? How could you process that your own father hated you, you know? And, and, and the only reason why I knew that was because how, how he treated you, you know? How you treat somebody and the things you say to them and, and how you act around them, that's what tells them what you are, what you think of them, you know? It's one thing to say, I, I love you, but if you don't ever show it, if you don't ever do anything, or if you don't ever show somebody that, how, how in the world would they ever know that you love them, other than the words that come out of your mouth. Um, he, he would say things to me, and, and, and this is some of the, uh, this is where kind of the, the, the title comes into place, and, and when I spoke earlier about um, some influential people had said things to me that um, I can't really think of anybody at a young age that could influence you more than your father. You know, you have the nurturing and the love of a mother. And I remember my mom saying things to me and whispering things in my ear. My mom loved me. As a matter of fact, <laughs> you know, uh, you know it, my mom, sh she showed favoritism. And, and so, 
you know, as bad as it was on the one end, my mom showed favoritism towards me. I, I don't know why she did, but she did. Um, and so, uh, you know, he, he would say things to me, and he would say things to me like he would call me dumb. I would do something, and he would just flat out, you know, you know you're just dumb. You're just a dumb kid. Um, he would say that I was stupid. I was very stupid, you know. And sometimes you can say, if you do something, you know, someone can say, boy, I was stupid. Well, you know, to somebody who has high a lot of stuff, you know, you know, spoke to them, bad things spoke to them, and when you, if you say that was really stupid, they can say, well, okay, well, I'm, I must be stupid because I just did something stupid, you know. Stupid is as stupid does. Um, and, and probably, but the most probably influential thing he ever said to me was I would never amount to anything. That was his voice in my head. And it rang in my head for years, 20, 30 years. Matter of fact, there, there could be a moment I could be going somewhere and those, boom, that, that voice will ring in my ears. And, uh, and it's the, the thing about now versus then is I know what to do with it now, you know, and, and I, I actually know the truth now, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one thing to, to know the truth now, but back then I didn't know what the truth was. I just, you, you know, I just, I just absorbed it, you know, and when you absorb something and you don't know what to do with it, it just stays there. It doesn't go anywhere, and it'll come out in the things you do. It'll come out in, in the decisions you make in life. Um, but that was, that was the voice that, that, w- that was in my head. It was, it was his voice in my head when I was 15 years old, and I, I, I loved sports. I, I, was, I was athletic. You know, I, I don't think I had anything in my future that would have gotten me a college scholarship, maybe wrestling. I don't know. I was, I was pretty good at wrestling. Uh, at that time, I, I'm still not very tall, but, you know, at that time I was even shorter than I am now. So, you know, the shorter you are, the better you are at certain things. You know, one of them is wrestling. Um, so, so, but when I, when I quit wrestling, you know, when I was 15, and my coach called my house and called my house, and he tried to talk me into coming back, and he even would say things like, you know, you know that within a year or two, you could be going to state. You know, you, you know, you know he, that's what he felt, you know, you know that the, the potential that I had w- that, that I could achieve something like that. But after 15 years of hearing all this stuff, it, it just bounced off of me. It didn't ring. It didn't ring in my ears. Um, but, but the words that I heard that I could, I could recall back in my head from my father was, I was no good. Um, you know, it was a voice in my head when I, when I barely graduated high school um, was, was I was just stupid. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's not that I consider myself to be, to have a disability or anything, um, you know, I, I, I can, even now today, I, 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 can, do, I can do certain math. I, I, my, my reading level is, is not below normal, um, just my vocabulary. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, when, you, when you, for years and years and years, have this stuff pounded into you, you know, how are you going to go to school and, and, carry, and carry an A, B average? You know, you're not going to. I hated school. Well, there's a reason why someone like that would hate school. Um, and when I, when I joined the military at the age of 18, because basically everything had boiled up to a point where when I was 15 years old, you know, I found some more information out about him, and it, and it, and it went from 
being confused and not understanding certain things to having a clear picture of who he really was. And once I found out who he really was, I hated him. I hated him. I mean, there was no more of a deeper hatred that you could have for another human being than what I had for him. And at the age of 15, you know, being in wrestling and different things, you know, I, you know, my dad wasn't a very big man. So, you know, there were some moments in our house that weren't very pretty. And, uh, and, and it, 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 you know, and it just came up to, to one day, you know, he, he came after me. And, uh, and, and I, I didn't physically do anything to him, but I restrained him from doing something to me. And from that moment on, we never, we, you know, we just kept our distance from each other. Um, uh, and, and that hatred, just, it, just, it just grew. Um, but, and so at the age of, of 18, when I had the opportunity, I was gone. I'm, I'm going in the military. I'm out of there. And, uh, but in his opinion, and in my grandpa's opinion, and in my uncle's opinion, they were all in the Navy. So the Navy was the best. Well, I'm a Marine. <laughs> Let's just say that uh, the Marine Corps and the U.S. Navy, they may, they may do well in wartime situations, but not in wartime situations. We just don't get along very well. Um. <laughs> uh, so when I, when I got hurt in the military and, uh, and, the, and I wasn't able to continue into the training that I was in, um, they gave me a medical discharge. Well, you know, that's all fine. It's an honorable discharge, you know, which is good, you know, and, and everything. But the word that rang in my head that he said to me over and over again was, I was just a loser, you know. I mean, how, how, how could you come out of there on top of the world? You know, you're just not going to. Um, and, then, and then that led my life down a road of just drugs and alcohol. And one day I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I was around people I shouldn't have been around. And I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And, and I OD'd on, on LSD. And, uh, and it was bad. I mean, it, it wasn't a good, obviously no OD is, 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 a, is a good OD. You know, I, I don't know of any. But, uh, um, and in my mind, even at that time, when I was hallucinating, and I, I just, man, I knew I, I was going to die. I was dying. And, and there was even a moment, there was a moment in that time where I, I, I could hear my heartbeat pounding in my ears, and it got slower and slower and slower, and then it just stopped, and I blacked out. I woke up four hours later. They locked me in a room, thought I was dead, and left. Everybody left the house. Because <laughs> they were doing it too. So why would, you, why would you call an ambulance for, you know, you're, you know, you know, you're doing drugs, you know, and, and all of a sudden someone ODs, you're not going to call the cops. You ain't calling nobody. You're getting the heck out of there. Heck. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's getting close already, so I just, I'm, just, I'm just warning you ahead of time. Uh, but it was also, there was another voice in my head, the most influential voice in my head, when I found myself at, at my lowest point in Stark County Jail, and I had the realization while I was in there that I am on my way to prison. There ain't no getting out of it. The sum total of everything I had done to that point, I am going to prison. And, um, and the word that rang out in my head the most was, I would never amount to anything. 
And in my mind, at that time, in that place, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Stark County Jail, but I'm just here to tell you, it's not a good place to go. <laughs> no jail is, but that jail is it's just no place for someone to be. Um, at least where I was at, I wasn't in the, in, the, in the part where people got DUIs or whatever. I, they didn't put me there. They put me, they put me in, you know, I was 20, 20 my early 20s, they, they put me in, in a place where everybody in that, in, in that division was on their way to prison. They were between the ages of 18 to 21. So you figure it out, you know. <laughs> if you're 18 to 21 years old and you know you're going, you're going to prison, you're just, you're off the hook. You know, it's, it's just crazy. But, uh, um, but it just, it, I just felt at that time that, that, that those words had came true. Finally, you know, I'm in a place I can't get out of, and I'm on my way to a place that I didn't want to go. And the words that he said to me, they just came true that day. And so because of that, after about two weeks of that going on in my head, I made a plan. And, 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 and it wasn't a plan to where I was going to write a note, you know, or anything. I, w I, I was going to make a call in desperation. No, I had a plan. I was going to hang myself. And I had a plan to do it, and it worked. And, uh, and as I lay there in my bunk, one-man cell, 15-man cell block, I laid there in my cell, and, uh, and it, it was right then and there where I met God. There was, there was no church, there was no preachers, and I'm very grateful. The amount of time I did, I met a lot of amazing people that came in and visited me and spoke to me and, and ministered to us in there, and it was, I had some amazing moments. But at that moment, there was nobody. Uh, you know, there was no one walking around witnessing with a track or handing you a Gideon's Bible. It wasn't anything like that. It was just me in there, in my plan. But God had another plan. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many of you have ever had a plan, good or bad, and all of a sudden you realize God has another plan, and it's not your plan. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of those moments. <laughs> to this day, I have those moments. I come up with a plan. It's not his plan. I think it's his plan. And I could even go in here. The bad thing is, is I, I do have enough word in me, because I had nothing else to do while I was in there. Um, you know, I have enough word in me to where I can find word to back that up. I can confirm my plan with that word. But it's not his plan. He had another plan. And, and I remember I, I came to a crossroads. And it was either I was going to fulfill my plan or I was, I was going to do something else. And I remember as a kid, I'm, I'm going to try to hurry because, you know, I got a lot of stuff to talk about. But, um. I got a clock right there. See, you know I'm not used to being up here when I'm looking behind me because the clock's right there. The clock's back there because you shouldn't be turning around looking at it. <laughs> if it's up here, then you know what time it is, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think Pastor did that on purpose, by the way. He could tell who was interested in his sermon and who's not by who keeps turning around looking at the clock. Oh, Bill. <laughs> I should have given my job to her, maybe. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I, was at, I, was, I was at a crossroads, and, and at that crossroads, I, as, as a little kid from age probably, I don't know, from my earliest memories, 
Vacation Bible School. Where's Scott Norquest? Is he in here? He's not in here. Scott Norquest, Vacation Bible School. Um, my mom, we lived right beside a church. Well, we, it was a, a Wesleyan Methodist church, and I'm not going to stand up here and talk bad about Wesleyan Methodists. They just think a little differently, I guess. But, uh, um, but, they, they, but I remember going to vac- Vacation Bible School, and when I went to Vacation Bible School, you know, there were some seeds that were put in me because in there, as a little kid, they teach you things. They teach you Jesus loves me, and, you know, they teach you about salvation and just these real basic principles of God. So those seeds were actually deposited in me as a, as a little boy. Um, as, I, as I grew up and, and pretty much despised everything about that whole setting and then walked away from it, you know, those seeds were still planted in me. They didn't go nowhere. Those seeds don't go nowhere. You know, you know we're not commanded as Christians to, 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 to help somebody grow. I, I, I can't make Robert grow. You know, I, I, I can't make you grow in, in God. I, I can give you information. I can love you. I can help you. I can do whatever I can. But... But only God can give increase. You know, you know, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So God had, God knew what he was doing when he planted those seeds in me as a little boy, you know, because he, he, he had a plan. It was different than my plan. But, but it, in his plan, he knew when he was going to make, when, when, when he, he was going to make that seed grow. I didn't, but he did. And at that moment, at that crossroads, I remember, I remember my life, I, I'm a man of many words, but I'm not a man of many words when it comes to praying to God. If you come up and you, and you say, Tim, can you pray for me? I'll, I'll pray for you. But it ain't going to be some long, drawn-out prayer. It's not going to be all King Jamesy, you know, using these and dials and, all, and you know, our Father who art in heaven. And that's all good stuff, by the way. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But I, I'm just not a man of those kinds of words. Um, so, so when I pray, I just try to keep it really simple. I keep it, try to keep it really short. And really simple. He he knows the thoughts that I before they even get into my head. He knows every thought, so I don't have to go into this long spiel about something. You know, when I when I'm praying, I, all I have to do is just keep it simple. You know, and, and have it come right out of my heart. And that's what I did. I just said, Lord, I, I was laying there, and I was just I, I just I just began to to cry. I said, Lord, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm done. It's over. You know, I'm. I'm 20-some years old. I'm going away for a long time. You know, I, I, I didn't go to college. You know, I barely had a high school diploma. You know, I didn't do anything before I got locked up. I worked here, left, worked here, walked off the job. I'd go here, get fired. Just because, it wasn't because of my work ethic. It was just because I just didn't show up for work. When I was there, I'd work like a dog. And they'd be like, you know, they'd be wanting to give me more money or give me a raise. And then I wouldn't show up for work. And I, I remember one guy pulled me aside. He goes, listen, man. He goes, you're one of the best workers in this place. He said, when you're here. <laughs> he said, I can't keep you. You, you ain't going to be here. I don't know when you're coming in and when you're not. And I walked off that job. But anyways, um, I, I just prayed a real simple prayer. And, and, and in that prayer, I just said, Lord, I, I don't know what you can do with me. And there's nothing really left. So if you can salvage anything out of that. I just, I'll give you my heart. And that was as simple as it got right there. You know, I didn't go through the whole list of repenting for all my sins because, you know, I'd probably still be there <laughs> today if I was still repenting for sin, you know. And so I, I just, uh, I just kept it really simple. And I mean, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like God would just 
He was just standing there just waiting for me to speak that word. And as soon as that word spoke, it was just like, bam, he was, just, he was there instantly. And I remember being in there, man. I had never felt that way in my life. I, 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 was, I was in there. There's bars in front of me. I can't go nowhere. But, man, I felt great. It was awesome. So wouldn't you know it, the first, you know, those things open up in the morning. Boom, I'm out that door. I'm on the phone. I'm calling my mom. It's like, hey, um, she's like, is everything all right? I was like, yeah. She's like, well, you know, um, do you know what's going to be going on? I didn't tell her, by the way, where I knew I was going. Not yet, anyway. But uh, she, uh, <laughs> she, I told her what happened. And, uh, you know, this woman prayed for me every day, probably in my life. And, uh, and, but when I told her, she didn't believe me. <laughs> I'm serious. She did not believe me. So that, that kind of tells you what state I was in when I went in. And the things that I had done and lied and spoke to her and did for her not to believe me when I said, hey, I got saved, you know, last night. She's like, I don't believe it. <laughs> so I was kind of devastated, you know. We got off the phone. And uh, I remember all day thinking, man. You know, it's really hard for me to convince somebody in here, you know, so God's going to have to, you know, let me go. <laughs> that was a great plan, by the way, but uh, that wasn't his plan. <laughs> but uh, um, that very day, unbeknownst to me, she prayed to God and she said, God, you gave me an experience years and years ago when I was down at the altar. And you did something to me, and I felt you physically. And she said it was like a lightning bolt, or just like a bolt of electricity. It just came into her like a wave, all the way down her feet and all the way back up. And she said she never told another living soul, ever. And that day, she prayed. She says, God, if that's real, if he's not lying to me one more time, and if it's real, then I want you to do for him what you did for me. And in that way, I'll know it's real. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to finish the story, but I think you already know. That night, I'm back in my bunk, you know. And I'm just, God took me down a road. Now he begins to take me down a road of the things that I had done in my life. And boy, I'll tell you what, when he takes you down that road sometimes, and it's not a road to convict you and to make you feel like a piece of garbage. I see, I almost said something else. Garbage. Um, but uh, he does that for a reason. He does that so you will realize your need for him. And it, you don't have to be in the place I was at for him to do that. You could be anywhere, you know, for him to do that to you. And to make you realize there's a need here for, for a God. And, and sure enough, that wave hit me, and it was like, it was like I, I had jumped into a swimming pool with my clothes on, got out, and stuck my finger right on a light socket. And I had never experienced anything like this before, ever. Never even really heard of it ever happening to anybody. Because the people I ran around with, we didn't talk about that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, maybe we should have, but we didn't. But uh, I remember laying there on my bunk, and this thing, this wave is going over me, and I became fearful. To the point where I remember I'm laying there, and I remember taking my hand. This was a, a concrete cell with a steel flat bunk that came out from the wall with a mattress that thick. 
And I was, I'm laying, very uncomfortable. But I, lay, I was laying on this, I mean, that's why I got back problems today. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, I'm laying there, and this wave's going over me, and I remember just taking my hand out and wrapping it around that steel bunk. And as soon as my hand grabbed the side of that bunk, it was gone, just like that. And I remember opening up my eyes and being like, what the heck was that? Heck? Is that? Okay, good. <laughs> and so first thing next morning, doors open up, boom, I'm out that door. I pick the phone up. I'm like, listen, I know you didn't believe me yesterday, but I got to tell you what just happened to me last night because there ain't nobody in here believing me. You know, you're around a bunch of guys, you know, you just, <laughs> you ain't going to run out of there and say, hey, guess what happened to me? You know, there'd be, you know, you'd be looking at you kind of weird. But uh, I told her on that phone, and she began to weep on that phone. And at that moment, God spoke to her something. At that moment, God showed my mom that he is God. And he can do anything he wants whenever he wants to do it. And anywhere he wants to do it. And, and so... I finally got her to believe. <laughs> and so, if you would, just turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. That took a lot longer than I was anticipating. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. Let's just recap real quick. I, I'm sure most of you know about the story about Elijah. Elijah great prophet in Israel, probably one of the greatest prophets in Israel. He, he, uh, God had given him the power to not cause it to rain. And so he calls the king of Israel out, says, it ain't going to rain. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, back in those days, that, that was a lot of guts, man. You're going to call the king of Israel out and say, hey, it ain't going to rain. Matter of fact, it ain't going to rain for about three years. There ain't nothing you can do about it. I can do something about it, but you can't. And uh, so they went up on, on top of this mountain. And uh, just to make, kind of make a, a long story short, um, he calls fire down from heaven, consumes it. Everybody realizes, hey, there is a God in Israel, and he is no joke. And, um, and so he, he ends up uh, uh, with a sword, killing the 120 prophets of Baal that Jezebel had, had set up. And he outruns the chariots back to Jezreel, you know, the, you know where, where the palace was, whatever they stayed in. Um, but uh, so Ahab runs upstairs, tells Jezebel um, everything that Elijah had done and, and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So you would just think at that moment, Ezra, Jezebel would fall on her face. Israel would, 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 uh, would uh, you know, just, you know, turn from their wicked ways. Well, this is what Jezebel says. So Jezebel sent a messenger. She didn't even come down. She sends a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. <laughs> so, so Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, Judah. He left the servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came up, up underneath a juniper tree, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. 
He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he fell asleep. And you might be wondering, okay, what's that have to do with me? Well, I am not an Elijah, as you just found out. I have done none of those things. Elijah called fire down from heaven. The only way I'm making a fire is with a Bic lighter. <laughs> I'm not even skilled. Now, Butch might be skilled. You know, he might be able to take a couple sticks, rub them together, you know, build himself a little fire. If I don't have a Bic lighter on me, I'm done. Matter of fact, a Bic lighter and probably a little bit of gasoline. You know, that's pretty much my methods of starting a fire. Um, it just makes it really quick, you know. <laughs> well, I sit there and just, you know, poof. <laughs> so, but, but both of us were governed by voices. And the, and, and the voice that was in Elijah's head, it was not the voice of God. It was the voice of Jezebel. This man just called fire down from heaven, slew 120 prophets, outruns the king's chariot back to Jezreel, and the voice of Jezebel reigned in his head. It's the only thing he heard. It's the only voice he heard. Because of what he does, he runs. Now, we talk about running, all right? Uh, I'm not sure how many horses they had back then, but when we're talking about running, it says Elijah ran back on foot back to Jezreel. So I don't imagine him having a horse. This is he ran. He ran from, Jez, from Jezebel, okay, all the way to Beersheba. Now, I looked it up, okay? We're not talking, like, from here to East Canton, which I couldn't even run from here to East Canton, by the way. But if I was, you know, we're talking, they estimate from Jezreel to Beersheba and then a day's journey in the wilderness to be about 150 miles. So we're here in Louisville, 150 miles in any direction, all right, especially east, you're in the Appalachian Mountains. You know, you're somewhere in the mountains of Pennsylvania somewhere, you know. Um, so that's pretty much where he was at, underneath the juniper tree. Well, you know, I, I had never done a miracle. I didn't live for God. Elijah did all those things. But both of us ended up underneath the juniper tree. Because we both just flat out wanted to die. Um, you know, if there was anyone who saw what God could do, it was Elijah. He saw the report and heard the messenger's word from Jezebel, and the only voice that was in his head was not God's. It was Jezebel. And so, you know, you know this morning, I don't, I don't know what people have ever said to you, or what voices that are in your head that don't belong there. Um, but I know this. Whether you're saved or unsaved, there's voices in your head. And those voices, if they are not God's voice, they can take you far from the things that God has for you. And they could, they could end you up underneath the juniper tree wanting to die. Or they could end you up in a jail cell. They can end you up anywhere but they'll be far from God. So, um, after a, a little while in the county, I head out um, on a bus. They, they ship me out on a bus. And so, 
I, I pretty much need a volunteer. I'm going to volunteer my daughter, Addie. <laughs> you can already see. She's, she doesn't even know what's going on, but she volunteers, okay, instantly. Now, for all you who don't know, this is, this is my daughter, Adelie. Um, she's probably one of the be- most beautiful girls in this church right here. Sorry. I apologize for all you. I'm not saying you're ugly. I'm just saying she's probably the most beautiful one. It's also this little girl's birthday. So, um, <laughs> you, you thought you were going to do something cool, didn't you? You didn't think I was going to embarrass you. So, we leave the county jail on a bus. Now, I, on, in this bus, it's an old Bluebird bus. I don't know if you know what a Bluebird bus is or not, but they're pretty, it's a big bus, okay? Inside this bus, I'm just going to try to draw you a picture real quick, real, real quick, um, is a steel cage. I'm talking steel on top, steel on the sides. Um, you can look out a window, but there's steel, all right? And there's a door in the back, there's a door in the middle, and there's a door in the front, and in the door where you get on the bus, all right? There's four armed guards. There's two in the back, two in the front, and they're armed. I'm talking like shotguns, 12-gauge shotguns, all right? So, <laughs> so they, 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 if that's not intimidating enough, all right, they, they shackle your feet. Now, just to make this moment a little lighter, my, my wife has this friend, and uh, <laughs> it was a hot summer day. And uh, so I'm booking around, doing different things around church. I had shorts on, T-shirt. And, uh, and I remember looking over at my wife, and, and this, this, I see this woman shaking her head, and she looks really distraught. And so I'm kind of curious now, what, you know, what's going on? And, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have this, 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 this problem, but I have a sock line, all right? I have a line on my, on my leg where, where the hair stops and where if I took, you know, if I'm in a pair of shorts, it looks like I have a pair of socks on, but I don't. And flip-flops, you're like, why is that guy wearing a pair of socks? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's just his airline. So this, here, this poor woman thought that the, while I was in there, uh, I was shackled all the time. And it had wore the hair over my legs. So I'm not sure what she thought. Like I was chained to the wall, you know, and I, they fed me with a stick, you know, bread and water, and I just laid there the whole day. I'm not sure what was going through her head, but that was not the case, okay? <laughs> so they have a shackled. Step down one more. Okay. They have a shackled, and then they put a chain around your waist, and they lock it with a padlock in the back. And off of this chain is, is handcuffs. You have one handcuff here, and then they wrap your arm around the other person, and then they handcuff it to the other one. So you're shackled. And you're handcuffed just like this. Wherever he's going, you're going. Wherever he's going, you're going. Whatever he's doing, you're doing. So, so, so we're sitting there on this bus driving down the road. Now, we're not talking about from here to East Canton. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking probably three or four hours. You know? So how many of you know anytime your hands are tied up, what's the first thing that happens? Your nose itches. Your nose itches. Your ear starts twitching or doing something stupid, and you're like, or you get something in your eye. You know, now everybody's looking at you like you're crying because you're go- where you're going. You're like, no, man, I just got something in my eye. They're like, yeah, right, you know, you wimp. But, but uh, so, so, so you're, ri- you're riding down a road like this, you know, and, and, and your nose is, is you know, itching, and, and you can't, like, you know, rub it on the guy because then you, then you got a whole new set of problems. <laughs> you know, so you're just, you know, you're just trying to make things go away. Anyways back to the story. 
I'm, I'm, I'm riding down the road, and once again, there was a real small prayer, just a simple prayer. And I remember I, I was by the window, and I remember looking out, out this window, and, and they had shutters on, steel shutters on this window, so you couldn't look straight out, but you could look down about 20 feet out from the bus. I remember just, just, just you know, looking out the window, realizing where I was going, wondering how the heck I got there. And, uh, but I remember saying, Lord, you know, all my life, I have chose the wrong friends. I have hung out with the wrong people. And I have listened to the wrong voices in my head. And because of that, you know, with my association, um, it has gotten me where I'm at today. And I said, you know, I am, I am not good at picking friends. If, if I'm left to my own devices to pick a friend, now I, I think I, I'd probably do okay. But back then, I was not capable of picking good friends. I seemed to always pick unhealthy friends. And, um, and even though you never thought something like this could ever happen to you, pick the wrong friends. And hopefully, hopefully not, but one day you might find yourself in the very same position trying to figure out how the heck you got there. But I, I remember saying, Lord, I, from here on out, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what it's like, but from here on out, I want you to pick my friends. That's all I said. Go back, get out. Okay. And, uh, and so, let's... Uh, Let's, let's, let's stay in 1 Kings. I just want to read a little bit more scripture here. Um, I, want to, I want to read, starting at verse 9, uh, we already know that he, he, you know, he, he takes off out in the wilderness 150 miles. And, uh, you know, apparently he hadn't eaten anything because, you know, he, he wakes up, the angel gives him, you know, you know, a piece of something, manna, whatever, and some water. He goes back to sleep. He wakes back up, does it again, and, and the angel says, you know, you got a long journey ahead of you. Get going. So he goes. Well, he goes to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and, um, and it says, there he went into a cave, and he spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And, you know, how many of you know God is not asking Elijah because he needs to know, like he can't figure out where Elijah is? <laughs> You know, God knows exactly where he's at. He just needs Elijah to say something out of his mouth for Elijah to realize where he's at. So, and so Elijah obviously doesn't realize where he's at. So he, so he replied, I have been very zealous of the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me. And the Lord said, go out and stand on a mountain. In the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Now, I don't know what kind of wind you think that is, but if there's a wind that is able to shatter rocks, it, you know, it's a mighty wind. But it says the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but it said the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. It says when Elijah heard that voice, it says that he covered his face 
in his cloak, and he went out and he stood in the mouth of a cave. I was on a bus, and Elijah was in a cave. You know, and there's, there's sometimes when you're all alone, and all of the other voices have ceased and been silenced. That's when God whispers to you. You know, and I, I don't know, like I said, I don't know the voices that are in your head or the things that you entertain every day. You know, but there might be some of you that are just, you just feel all alone. You know, and you feel that, you know, no one really understands. They don't understand where I'm at, what I'm going through. And I'm just saying to you, you know, don't become like Elijah. Give God the opportunity to pass by and whisper to you. You know, from that, from that small prayer, you know, on the bus, you know, God had, he, you know, he had a, he had a plan. There was 1,200 inmates on a side. There's, 12, there's two sides to this place that I went in Columbus. That's a lot of people. I didn't know a soul. The bus gets there. We get off. We, we, we get checked in, get all our stuff, which, you know, isn't very much, but, you know, it's what you need to survive in a place like that. It's the bare necessities, and that's what I got. We take off for the dorm that we were going to be, be in, the dorm that pretty much houses all the new guys coming in, and, uh, and we get there. And, you're, you know, you're, you're on high alert, you know. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what's coming. You know, you're just, you know, you're just in a really crazy place. And so it's a very first night. So we get to the dorm, and I remember walking out. For some reason, I was the last guy in the door. And out of, like, you know, 15 guys or so, I'm the last guy in the door. We get in there, we go up to the, to the, the officer's desk, and the officer looks down this list. He goes, okay, you 14, you're right there. He said, uh, he looks at me. He goes, what's your name? I said, Con. He goes, you're over there. And he points to the other side. And, uh, and so I was like, hmm, I should have maybe been the last one in the door. Maybe I should have tried to beat somebody to the door. And uh, so I went over there, and I got, I remember I, I got to my cell, and I walked in, and I put my stuff down, and, um, and, and I, I'm pretty nervous. And because uh, I'm not around just a group of guys that just got there that felt and thought just like I did. You know, now I'm around a whole different set of, set of people. And so I remember, I remember walking out, out of my cell, and, I, in a, in a, and I'm walking down, down the little hallway there. And, you know, there was just one thing that came to my mind. You know, you, one thing about in there is, you know, you don't get anybody else's business. You don't ask them any questions. You just stay to yourself. If they approach you and want to talk to you, that's great. But just don't go out of your way, you know, to talk to anybody. So I, that's pretty much what I had in my head. And um, so I'm walking down the hallway. And, I, and as I'm walking out of my peripheral vision, I look down in the cell, and there's a guy in there, and he's reading the Bible. And I just kept right on going. I, you know, I, I went to the restroom, and as I'm coming back, I, I, I honestly did not have any intention on, on stopping. And, uh, and I get around right in front of this thing, and, and it was like someone just put their hand around right my chest and stopped me in my tracks. And I remember standing there thinking, I don't even know what I'm going to say, because I, I just stopped. You know, and obviously, once you stop, you've got to say something. You know, you're going to look at you like you're stupid. So, so I'm standing there in, in front of his dorm, and just really quick, really fast, his voice said, ask him about church. So I was like, uh, hey, uh, you know, I, I just got here, you know, tonight. 
was like, you know, I saw you reading your Bible. You know, can you know, tell me, do they have church services here? You know, and, and what time are they? And he, he, he looked at me, and he, he kind of he smiled, and he stood up, he shook my hand. He said, hi, my name's Dan. He said, he said, I'm a, I'm a Christian brother. And he said, uh, he said, uh, you don't have nothing to worry about here. He said, uh, he said, uh, tomorrow, he said, I, I, I'll take you around. I introduce you. He said, he said, he said, I introduce you to all my friends. So I went back to my cell that night, and I, I obviously thank God. Next morning, I got up and. Through the course of the day, he introduced me to well over 30 people. And, uh, and it was like these, I had never thought about this because I never even entertained what this place was like or didn't have any idea. But these, these guys, they just welcomed me like I was just part of their family. And they, you know, and, and these, these guys had been there a little while. They were full of the word of God and the love of God. And they just welcomed me. And, um, and so the very one of the one of the of the of the gentlemen that he described me to, his name was Roger, and um, and Fran, he he reminds me. I don't know if you know Brother Fran or not, but uh, he reminds me a lot of Roger. Roger, he was a, he was an older gentleman, and he had a cane, and he had a deteriorated hip, and he had some a lot of other issues. But he you know he'd walk on his cane, and he used to walk like this with his cane. And he was a real quiet guy. He didn't really talk to a lot of people. Um, but to this day, I'd, I'd probably say he probably knows more word than the entire JBQ and Team Bible Quiz put together. <laughs> this man was a walking Bible. And, uh, and, and I remember for like, like the first year and a half I was there, you know, I was drawn to this guy, and, and he was in a different dorm to me, but every day he was out there on the yard, he'd be sitting there in, in, in a seat, I was out there. And, and he was one of these guys that just didn't try to, try to say a bunch of stuff so you, you, you could see how much he knew. He was one of these guys where he, he'd be sitting there, he's real quiet, he'd be like, so, um, what'd you read today? You know, I was really young, <laughs> you know, I, I, didn't, I was reading the word, but I just didn't have a lot of word in me. So I'd be like, uh, well, I, I was reading John. He's like, hmm. He's like, uh, wh- wh- what in John were you reading? I was like, so now I'm scrambling. I'm like thinking, okay. Uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, like on Wednesday when pastor asks you what he preached on Sunday. <laughs> You're like, uh, well, you know, you said this, you know. <laughs> so I was like, well, you know, John chapter 10, I was reading there. He's like, okay. He's like, uh, do, do, do you know what it meant? Did you understand it? And I was like, no. And so he would begin to take me through the chapter, verse by verse. And he would, he, he would never tell me what he, he would ask me questions, but he would never give me an answer. He would take me through the word in such a way that, you know, I, I'm fairly certain he was a, like an electrician on the outside because he was really good at like flipping light switches on. You know, and he, he would take you through the word in such a way, and all of a sudden that light bulb would go on, you know, and he'd be like, oh, I, I never seen that. You know, but he was a master at taking you through the word in such a way that those light bulbs would start to come on. And I, I don't know, it's one thing to sit and listen to somebody 
speak or you read the word, but it's another thing when a, when a revelation comes to you, when a light bulb comes on. Because when, when a light bulb comes on, now you can take ownership of that word. That word sticks. It's like you read all the stuff, you know, and some sticks, some doesn't. But man, when you get a revelation of the word of God, it sticks to you. It doesn't go anywhere. It's, it's there. And that's, that, that's, how, that's how he would take me through the word. And I remember one day, um, it's not 10 after 12, is it? Okay, all right, we're going to hurry this along. Um, <laughs> one day, I thought you said you were going to get me up here earlier, Pastor Sammy. All right, all right. So, so, uh, so I met this other guy. He was in my dorm. His name was Pat. Now, Pat was a different kind of guy. All right, Pat, <laughs> Pat was in college. He was a college-educated edu guy. He was in there for five years. He, he had a beautiful fiancé, um, college-educated. He went to a party one night, had one too many to drink, got in his car, driving home, hit a car head-on, and killed the person. Just like that. I didn't get there like that. I did a bunch of stupid stuff. I, I could understand how I got there, but, man, that... That's like, dude, you know, you're in college, you're doing the right thing, and all of a sudden, wham, this is where you're at. And so, and so this brother, he overhears me in a conversation about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I grew up Wesley Methodist. Basically, they believed if you pray in tongues, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's the unpardonable sin. That's, that's what I learned from a little child up till we, we left, was that if you spoke in tongues, you're, you're blaspheming the Holy Ghost, and, and it's the unpardonable sin. You're going to hell because there's no forgiveness for it. And so um, I didn't necessarily believe that, but that, that was a voice in my head. And so he says, he, says, he, he says, listen, brother, I don't want to put anything else in your head. I don't want you to hear what I have to say. He says, he says here, here's a piece of paper. The only thing that's on this piece of paper is Scripture verses. Read the Scripture verses Tomorrow, tell me what you think. Now, it was a legal pad of paper. Now, the only people that I know that use legal pad of paper is people in prison and Pastor Dan. <laughs> I, I really don't know what the correlation is there. But, you know, maybe it's something he's not telling us, you know. <laughs> he's probably ready to throw up if he's listening to this. Anyways, but uh, so I read, I, I read this this piece of paper, and when I was done reading that piece of paper, the only thing on it was the Word of God. At the very end of it, I knew. I was like, how in the world can this not be for me? How in the world is this not something that's for today, and it is not for me? You know, I'm, I'm really simple in how I think. And if it says that promise is for you, and it's for them afar off, well, when I hear that and I see that, them, that's me. It doesn't say a, a particular group of people or someone specifically. It says them, and that is me. So I'm not going to say that's you. I'm just saying when I read that, it said me. And so I, that's all I needed to know. I'm thinking, okay, I'm ready. I go back out to Roger. I said, I'm ready. He's like, okay. He calls 15 brothers around. And, I mean, these brothers, man, <laughs> If there was Elijah's in there, they were Elijah's. These guys could fall fired out from heaven. I mean, they laid hands on me, and all 15 of them, they're all praying in spirit, and they're 
patting me on my back. Just let it out, brother. Just open your mouth up. Just let it come out. So I'm like, you know, I'm letting my mouth, and nothing's coming out. Not a thing. And so at the end, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I think I got it. I think I got it. You know, and it's one of those things where you just, you just try to, like, you know, just kind of just, okay, yeah, I'll see you guys tomorrow. You know, and I, and I leave. But as I'm leaving and I'm walking back to where, I, where I'm going to go, I, I'm upset, and, I, and I'm hurt, and I'm mad because it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. So once again, I get back on my bunk in the middle of the night, and, and I'm mad. I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I know this is for me. I know it. I read it. I saw it. It's for me. You know, if, if it wasn't for me, then you shouldn't have wrote it like that. You shouldn't have put them in there. You should have said a specific group. That's how I think. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that to God that way. You know, it's easy to talk about something when they're not present <laughs> physically. But, but, uh, but uh, they, uh, so, I, I, so I'm, I'm upset. And I remember, I remember, you know, I felt like I was just being backed in a corner, backed in a corner. And when I get back so far in a corner, I just, I'm like, okay, this is what's going to happen. Either this is a bunch of hooey or it's real. And if it's real, I'm going to open up my mouth and something's coming out. I don't know what it is, but something's coming out of my mouth. And I remember opening up my mouth, and it wasn't this great, beautiful language or singing in the spirit, songs you don't understand. It was just a noise. And I mean, at that moment, all my flesh just cringed. And my head began to say things like, you're an idiot. You're stupid. What the heck are you doing? You ain't saying nothing. You know, you're making that stuff up. There ain't nothing coming out of your mouth, you know. But there was another voice in there that silenced those voices that said, just keep going. You just keep going. And you just, you just keep going. You just keep doing it. And I did. And a day turned into a week. And a week turned into a month. And a month turned into a year. And before you knew it, I was flowing in the Spirit. And I learned, I learned that, you know what? Speaking in it, this is just me. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit to you, although I feel everyone should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I, what I have learned from that is I don't know what to pray for sometimes. I, I don't know what Bobby Bates goes through every day. I don't know the information that is between your ears. I don't know the struggles that you have. I don't know the battles that you face. I could drive down the road, and God could put him on my mind. I could be like, okay, God, I just pray for Bobby right now, and I, I pray for his family. I pray a hedge of protection around him. I pray the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to cover him right now. Whatever he's going through, I pray peace upon him. I could say all those things, and those are great things. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for that. You should. But there's sometimes there's things that he's dealing with that I don't know what he's dealing with. And when I pray in the Spirit, the Spirit knows what he's dealing with. He knows his thoughts before they enter his mind. And so I could drive down the road, and I could pray in the Spirit for Bobby, you know, and I could be praying for what he needs right now, what he needs right this minute. And I have found, I have tested that, and it's worked every single time. It has never failed. I've had people come after me and people say things to me that were horrible. And I began to pray for them without them knowing about it. And I've been praying for them in spirit for days and a week. And a week turned into two weeks. 
And I've had them come back to me and say, not even saved, come back to me and say, you know what, those things I, I said to you were wrong. And, you know, I realize now that, you, you know, you're really not that kind of person. And they shake my hand. Now you tell me. God's voice was not in the wind. It wasn't an earthquake. It wasn't a fire. His power did not come in the midst of 15 guys praying for me. It came in a gentle whisper in the middle of the night. It says, and, and you might be waiting for God to show up in some big way in your life. Maybe you're going through something. You might be looking for that mighty wind to come and blow whatever it is away, a long way. And you might be missing the still small voice saying, stop. Look. Just listen to what I have to say. Those three years went, went really fast. And uh, before I knew it, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to the pro board for the first time in like four years. And, uh, and uh, I'm going home. I knew it. My bags are packed. I knew it. I, I, I walk in there, and uh, it was like the first day of Marine Corps boot camp. They drilled me, and pretty much they pretty much said everything, but they didn't call me a maggot. I was called a maggot the first day I was in boot camp, Marine Corps boot camp. That was like their favorite word to use, you know. You're a maggot. A maggot is one step lower than a sand flea, and sand fleas are really prevalent on Paris Island. <laughs> and they, they deserve to be there because they've been there longer than you. You don't even deserve to be here, so don't be killing them. And, uh, and, uh, and so I, I walk out of there confused. My mind was cloudy. I didn't really understand what they were saying to me. I thought they were going to send it to Columbus for, you know, in front of a panel. I get back, I get back to, to, to my cell, and there's a slip of paper on, on my bunk. And on that slip of paper was my next parole date, five years. And I remember just looking at that piece of paper going, what the heck? How in the world am I going to do five years? You know, five more years. I'll be in there ten years. You start doing the math then. You're thinking, I don't have a career. I don't have a job. What am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do when I get out when I'm 30-some years old? Are you kidding me? I'm, it's over. But I didn't listen to that voice. I listened to another voice that said, just keep going, just keep going. And, uh, and uh, you know, God is he's no respecter of persons. Right. You know, you, know, you, you can... You can uh, <laughs> You can compare me and Elijah, you know, on certain aspects, you know, from the juniper tree to standing at the cave in a still small voice. And, I, and I'm going to tell you just a, another quick story real quick. And it is, um, it is uh, I, in, in there is a little store. It's called Commissary. And, and you can go there once a week. Now, there's 10 dorms, um, 120 guys per dorm. So, you know, you just, it's not open all the time. You can't just walk in there and buy something. It's not like that. You get one day, you get these amount of hours that you can go. If you don't go, you don't get anything. It's just that simple. And uh, when you go there, you hand them a, a piece of paper with stuff wrote down on it. Hopefully, you have enough, enough in your account to pay for what's on that piece of paper, or they're putting it back. Um, and so in there, I was, I, 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 I was pretty hygienic. You know, I, I, you know I, like, I, I like fresh breath. It really bothers me if I don't have fresh breath. So I, I would chew a piece of gum every single day. I'd chew a piece of gum every day, Wrigley Spearmint gum. 15 cent pack of gum. And so I, I, I hand him my piece of paper. I go through the line. They put stuff in the bag. I leave. I go back. I'm at my cell. Empty my bag out. There ain't no gum. Now to you, it might be simple. But to me, I'm like, 
you know, the vein comes out on the side of my neck. I'm like, what the heck? These incompetent people. How come they didn't put it in? I can't go back. You know, I, I, I can't go back in there. So I, you know, so I'm standing there in, in my cell and I'm mad. I'm like, I'm like, God, you know, I know you got a lot of other things to do today, but uh, I really need a 15 cent pack gum. <laughs> you know, I can't go back in there and get it. I know Gabriel could probably go in there and get it for me, you know, but I can't go back in there and get it. And before I ended my prayer, before I said amen, before I finished the next word, I heard somebody call my name. So I back out of my cell, I look, I look down the hall, and it's an old man. His name was Robert, and uh, he was 77 years old. He had been in there a very, very long time. He was an atheist. I'm not sure he ever gave his heart to the Lord, but uh, he was my friend. And uh, he didn't have very many friends. And uh, he said, come on down here. So I I, 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 walk down, I walk down to the cell, and uh, I'm standing there, I'm like, I'm like, you know, what do you need? And, and he, his hand shook, and, and he, he, he gets down in his little box, and he, he goes, man, he said, the darnest thing happened. He said, I was over at commissary. He said, I don't even chew gum. I got dentures. <laughs> he said, they put this pack of gum in my bag. He goes, you want it? And he's standing there holding it, and I'm standing there looking at him, and I'm looking at him, and I got my hand out, and I begin to well up with tears. I'm like, yeah, you know, he must be thinking he's giving me, like, this great gift, you know, because I'm starting to get a little emotional, but that's not why I was emotional, you know, I'm standing there, and he puts that thing in my hand, and I'm like, I didn't even know what to say, you know, the words were caught in my throat, I didn't even know what to say, and, and I, I take, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I said thanks, and, and, I, and I, I put him in, I walk back, and I walk back into my cell, and I, and I just put my head down, and before I could even speak a word, it wasn't a still small voice. It was not a gentle whisper. It was a voice that said, don't you ever think anything is too small for me. If it's important to you, it's important to me. Don't ever think that. And at that moment, he said something to me. He said, I am God. And don't you forget it. And I'm a God, I'm a God that, 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 that could open that door and you could walk out of there today if I wanted to. And I'm a God that could give you a 15-cent pack of gum before the words can get out of your mouth to say amen. You didn't even have to have faith for that. I just did it because I'm God. You know, at the... After that, I had been in there for eight years or so, and I'm sitting there. I'm the chaplain's clerk. Everybody who comes into the system, I'm going to really try to wrap this up quick. Um, uh, I'm in there. I'm the chaplain's clerk. Everybody who comes into that place, they have to go through the chaplain's office because they, it's just a rule. You have to give them a religious preference. If you don't have any, that's fine. I don't have any, you know. Um, uh, so I'm the chaplain's clerk. So I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm on a computer. I'm punching everybody's names door opens up, I look over, I look back down, and I stop. I look back, and it's my friend I have known since I was in high school. And he had gotten locked up for something w- way before I did. And uh, his name was Todd. And, uh, and I was in shock. I was like, what the heck are you doing here? He goes, dude, I just put in for it, you know, and they sent me here. And it took a, quite a while. I had wrote him when I first went down 
And after the fourth letter, he, he wrote back, he said, listen, man, he said, if you're going to preach to me every time you write me, stop writing. That was his letter. In big words, stop writing. So at that time, being young and stupid, I'm like, okay, I really don't know what else to say because my life has changed so much. What am I going to talk about? You know, I only thing I know are the things that God's doing in my life and what he's doing around me, you know. So I didn't know what, so I didn't write him. Years went by. He shows up. I walk up to him. I give him a big hug. And he just looked so different, man. He just looked like somebody just beat him down. Not physically, you could no scars or anything, but he just, he just looked like he was done. And uh, so we walked around all day. And I didn't say a whole lot. I just let him talk, you know. And he was reminiscent. And he, he'd be like, hey, remember we did this? And we were over here and we did this. And, and, and I just kind of nodded my head. And at the end of the day, we had, we had to leave. He was in a different dorm than I was. And I remember, I remember squaring up in front of him, and I just said, Todd, I said, I want to tell you something. I said, those days were not good old days for me. I said, I don't have any good old days. I said, those days are gone. I said, my good old days are ahead of me. And, and I left. I turned around, and I walked away. And I wasn't sure how he was going to take it. But I knew I did not want to spend another day of him reminding me of all the stupid things I did in my life. So, so that night, you know, me and, me and my brothers, we prayed for him. I, you know, we get up the next morning. I'm sitting there with, with my friends and, uh, in, in the dorm. And somebody comes in from out, outside. And they go, hey, man, somebody's out there. I want to talk to you. And uh, I was like, okay. So I, I, I put my jacket on. I, I go outside, and it's Todd. And he looks totally different. You know, he says, you're not going to believe what happened to me, man. He goes, I thought you were full of crap. Well, no. oh. <laughs> Who? What? Poop. <laughs> I'm not sure that's any better. <laughs> you're the wrong man for the job. <laughs> we'll, we'll say hooey. Hooey. All right. <laughs> He said, I thought, I thought you were full of hooey, you know. I said, what do you mean? He said, you wrote me those letters years ago. He said, uh, I, 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 you know, I thought, I thought you, you were an idiot. You were just one of these people that come in and they get this, you know, you know religion or whatever. And um, he, said, uh, he, said, he said, I didn't think it was real. He said, but I got here and yesterday, he said, he said I, I watched you all day. And what you said to me there at night, I realized and all the friends you introduced me to and, and, and how they treated me, he said, I realized something. It really is real. And that night, he gave his heart to the Lord. That very night. And, and, uh, and he, uh, you know, we went off from there, and he ended up, you know, he, he, got, he, got, he got filled with the Spirit. I ended up spending another year or so with him in there. And then, once again, I, I, I found myself back at the pool board. So I'm ready this time. First time I didn't know what was going to happen. So now I'm ready. You know, once you've been through Marine Corps boot camp, if you have to go back to Marine Corps boot camp, there ain't nothing they can say to you. You know, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And, uh, and uh, so I go back in there. I sit down, and I was at, at perfect peace. I got in there. I sat down. I was ready. Whatever they want to do, I'm fine. I got, I got a ton of friends in here. I didn't want to be there. It was really hard. But I was prepared. And I, and, and I remember sitting down, and the guy's looking at this piece of paper, and he looks up, 
And he said, why are you even here? And I, I remember thinking, I did not say this, but I was thinking, I'm not the one that's supposed to be saying that. <laughs> I mean, you're not the one that's supposed to be saying that. I'm supposed to be saying that to you, but you should not be saying that to me because you're the one that's going to determine whether I'm getting out or not. You know? He said, you shouldn't even be here. He said, you, he said we're just, we're, you know, we're going to put in for Columbus and uh, you're going to get a parole. So I walk back, I walk back to, my, to, to my cell. I walk in, and there's another piece of paper on my bunk. And uh, I, remember, I remember picking this piece of paper up and looking at it, and it said parole. That's all it said on it. It said parole. Nothing magical or anything, just parole. And I'm staring at it, and his voice, his voice came to me as clear as a bell. And he said, <laughs> he said, for the last five years, I prepared you for that moment. That moment when you were confronted with Todd, he says, was it worth it? That's all he said. It wasn't anything else. And as I thought about it, I'm thinking, how in the world could I say it was, how could I be bitter how can I be bitter about that? You know, I wasn't in, I wasn't innocent, you know. You know, maybe I shouldn't have done that much time, but I wasn't innocent, you know. So, you, you know, but how can I be bitter for doing that much time when God prepared me and used me for a divine appointment where someone got saved? One soul was saved from hell. How, how can I be bitter about that? You know? And so, you know, you, you just never underestimate what God can do right where you're at. Amen. <laughs> you know, never underestimate what he can do. And, 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 and in conclusion, I just, I just want to say, you know, whatever voices that are in your head, I just, I just pray that you let God silence them. Saved or unsaved. There's voices in everybody's head saying things to you every single day, from your past, from, your, from, from people who influence you, from God, from yourself, silence them and allow that still small voice to whisper to you and give you words. He can speak, he, he can speak five words to you that you can hang on to for the rest of your entire life. And it'll get you through times you would think you would never be able to get through on those five words than words that someone has put into you for years. He can undo them in five words. You know why? Because he's God. And he can do anything he wants. Whenever he wants to do it. And so, I want to share with you a clip real, real quick. Gosh, man, this is really bad. I'm sorry, Pastor. They're going to be begging for you to come back. I just want you to know that if you're watching this. They're like, please, Pastor, you're, you're done at a quarter till. It's like way past. Thank you for staying, but I want to show you this clip. In this clip that I want to show you, I am not a poet. I, I don't have words that I can say and put them together that can give you a picture of, of the God, of my God, and what he means to me. And I hope that he's your God, and he means this much to you. But I want you, I want you to listen and watch this video, and then I'm going to be, I'm going to be done. 
You've been listening to a sermon from Louisville First Assembly. For more information, visit www.firstagonline.com. That's www.firstagonline.com.